I'm a member of a Red Sox nation It's a kind of a family Wherever I roam, up and way home That's where I long to be I'm a member of a Red Sox nation It's a kind of insanity Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity I make a smile November until Terry Cushman here for an impromptu edition of the Benny and the Bets podcast. For everyone watching on Periscope tonight, the podcast, despite the fact it's an impromptu edition, will be on iTunes, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, literally everywhere, as well as the link up above in the Periscope window. I have decided to fly solo tonight because I just need to rant, and sometimes when you rant, you just need to be by yourself. And so, uh, mostly going to be discussing the Chris Sale uh, extension, which uh, took place yesterday. It had been, uh, you know, seemed like it was on the verge of happening throughout uh, the last month or so, finally did. And then I'll touch back on the Mike Trout, Mookie Betts situation as well. And uh, a couple of disclaimers. First disclaimer, even though I am flying solo and I'm putting this on the podcast, these are my own opinions and they do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Jeremy Schilling, Liz Churchville, or Stephanie Allen. This is just me coming on here to vent my own opinions, so... I just thought I would throw that out there. So, one other disclaimer. I'm going to go into a rant here on the Chris Sale uh, extension. And what I'm ranting about isn't necessarily the fact that he got an extension. It's entirely based on the fact that he got the extension a year early. Like, we could have used this year to make sure he could be healthy throughout the entire year and then hopefully into the playoffs. We have not seen that yet from him in a Red Sox uniform. And his final year as a Chicago White Sox player, same thing. Stamina issues. Didn't look good. So that's my disclaimer. I still love Chris Sale. I'm still going to root for Chris Sale. I'm extremely pissed off that he was signed early. So before we get into that, how about a little refresher on Dave Dombrowski, okay? He's been with the Red Sox since halfway through the 2015 season. So the Detroit Tigers are going to enter 2019 their fifth straight non-competitive season, okay? I don't know what their projected win totals are. I'm sure it's going to be well below 500, especially since their ace is about to have Tommy John surgery. And with that said, where this is season number five, they're still two or three years out from 
being competitive. They're in the middle of their rebuild, okay? So basically, when you add up all those years, Dave Dombrowski's terrible decisions at the end of his tenure with the Detroit Tigers led to them not being competitive for the better part of a decade. That's how long it's taken the Detroit Tigers to recover from Dave Dombrowski. Why am I bringing this up? Because we have a lot of big superstar players coming up on free agency. Chris Sale no longer is, has his extension, but Mookie Betts is, J.D. Martinez possibly, if he opts out, I suspect he will. Xander Bogarts is a free agent after uh, this coming year as well as Rick Porcello, uh, you know, to name a few. So some huge decisions need to be made, and they're going to be made, at least in part, by a guy who's made a lot of terrible decisions. Here's just a few before we move on to the sale extension uh, specifically. Miguel Cabrera is getting roughly $30 million a year on, on basically a 10-year deal. Uh, he has, I think, like five years left of it. He's been hot garbage for the last couple of years. Extremely injury prone. That contract is not looking good. 36-year-old Victor Martinez got an $80 million um, contract at age, like I said, 36. So that was a four-year deal. Not smart. Anibal Sanchez got a five-year, $85 million deal. That contract ended up being terrible. And then, of course, Prince Fielder also got a nine-year, $214 million contract. Now, he did get flipped to the Detroit Tigers, luckily for Dombrowski. But he still signed that contract initially, and terrible decision. And then, so that's a ton of money on the books. Justin Verlander, that's not a bad contract, but... He was making $27 million, so when you just add that dollar amount in with the other bad dollar amounts with the other players, it complicates it complicates their payroll. So, um, you know, he, he's been, in my opinion, the best pitcher of this era. You know, some might say Kershaw, some might say Scherzer. But, I mean, Verlander's 36, and he's not slowing down. And he just got an extension today, uh, as a matter of fact. Uh, two years, $66 million. So, um, you know, it's working out very well for the Astros. But anyway, so again, this is Dave Dombrowski, terrible decision maker. He's made a couple of bad ones with the Red Sox already. You know, the Travis Shaw trade, you know, the most infamous one. And, and uh, so that's just the refresher on him. Now, yesterday, Chris Sale did agree to a... Uh, initially, it was reported as a five-year, $145 million extension. They did, uh, apparently, today... I should have reconfirmed this. They added this current season to that deal. So now it's a six-year, $160 million deal. The reason why they did that is because he's only making $15 million this year. If they tack it on... To the other five years, it'll drop the average annual value down, which is what kind of helps with the luxury tax. But anyway, so here's my problem with signing Chris Sale a year early. And again, that's my problem here. Not that we necessarily signed him. 
It's that we didn't do our due diligence and just kind of wait and see what he did this year. It's that we jumped the gun. So here's some of my problems with him. Stamina issues, big time. I kind of alluded to that in the intro. 2016, his last three starts of the year he gave up with the White Sox. He gave up six earned runs, three earned runs, five earned runs in his last three starts. 2017 with the Red Sox. He started falling off the cliff that year in early uh, August. The, the Indians shelled him twice. And uh, so the final three starts of the year uh, in, in 2017 gave up uh, four earned runs, zero earned runs to Baltimore, and then gave up five earned runs in his last start. I believe that was against the Toronto Blue Jays. Last three starts in 2018, he was basically just kind of doing long relief, so to speak. I think he even, they tinkered with an opener role. He gave up zero earned runs, two earned runs, three earned runs. Now, that doesn't sound bad, but he only pitched three or four innings at the most in that time frame, and he was injured. And, you know, did have, because of his injury, had the, the lowest velocity of his career. So... Three years in a row, if, I mean, how how terrible is this going to look if, if he looks like shit this August and September for a fourth year in a row? Okay, this is his age 30 season, and he's been struggling with this since his age 27 season. So how's age 34, 35, 36 going to look in that deal? So moving on. Not good in the playoffs, you know. He he didn't he didn't you know get a get a recharge at all. He didn't bounce back. I remember having concerns going into the 2017 playoffs, and people were saying, "Oh, he's Chris Sale. He's going to be fucking awesome. He's going to dominate in the playoffs. We're going to win the fucking World Series." Well, he sucked. He sucked against the Astros. Only went five innings, seven earned runs. He was just as broken down in that start as he was the last several uh, leading up to that playoff start. 2018, not great. You know, his playoff ERA overall is 5.76. Yes, he closed out the World Series, but not, not good in the month of October. Not healthy, not sharp, not, not anything. And the difference between 2018 and 2017 was in 2018, the rest of the team was able to carry him, okay? As long as he could tread water like he kind of did, the rest of the team could carry him, and they got through the games, they ended up winning the World Series. In 2017, our offense was not as robust, and the team needed Chris Sale to kind of carry them a little bit, during each of his starts, and he wasn't able to do that. So that's the difference. We're, we're not going to be 2018 every year. We're not going to win 108 games every single season. You know, we might not win 100 for a long time. You know, mid-90s could win the division this year. And so I'm, I'm just pointing out the fact that he's going to have to pull his own weight in the month of October. And again, you know, I'm just, people are, that are just tuning in now, especially on Periscope, what are you shitting on Chris Sale? I can't hammer it home enough. I just wanted them 
to see how he looked in 2019 before making a massive commitment. And I, I love Chris Sale, but I love winning better, and I want my ace to be healthy. So going back to uh, Chicago and when the trade happened, when we acquired him, we had him for three years. So we had the last year of his initial contract, then there were two option years, which we obviously picked up. Before we even acquired him, there was concerns about his delivery the awkwardness of it, the violence of it, possibly giving him issues. Like, he could be a guy who isn't very healthy in his 30s because of his delivery, but the thought at the time was, well, we're only going to have him for three years. It's relatively low risk for that short of a time frame. Well, a year and a half into his tenure here with the Red Sox last July has shoulder issues, and we still don't know what the extent of those issues were. There was all kinds of mixed signals being given. The timetables kept getting pushed back, and, the, you know, they assured us he would be healthy for October. He wasn't really healthy, as I just pointed out. He ended up in the hospital. You know, they jokingly said it was a, a belly button piercing infection or whatever. There were also rumors that maybe he took too much over-the-counter painkillers, Tylenol, ibuprofen, whatever, and, you know, it messed with his stomach. You know, he was just doing what he had to do to, to contribute to winning a World Series. I'm not faulting him for that, but the fact of the matter is he wasn't healthy, and, you know, so... It goes back to that delivery. You know, he lacks stamina. The delivery is funky. There's a lot of red flags here. And we're lucky all the stars aligned in every other way for him to still be able to kind of tread water for the rest of the team to do their job to win the World Series. Another thing, I mean, this is just common sense. Players in their 20s who have issues, you know, if it's performance, injuries, whatever, they always have them in their 30s. Look at Dustin Pedroia. I, he's a position player, same thing. Struggled with injuries uh, in a multitude of them. Some of them were knee-related, hamstring. He, you know, did something to a ligament in his hand one year. Just had issues with health and you know he hasn't really been around for the most part since since uh early you know 2017 so we, we've seen it we've seen it firsthand you know guys and jacoby ellsbury another great example just you know everybody forgets that he still exists and he's still on another team's payroll so, you know, we're, we're pretty familiar with him. Could the Red Sox have still signed Chris Sale after 2019? I would say yes to that. I mean, he, he, we had him under control anyway for 2019 via his option. But he's been saying for much of the past few weeks, he loves Boston his family likes it here. It's best for his family. So he's willing to possibly take less money. Now that sounds good. Maybe it's mostly true, but I think, and I'm always speculating here, in the back of his mind, he's thinking to himself, 
if he doesn't get his money now, he might never get it. I mean, if he spends most of this year on the on the DL, not saying he will, but if he spends just say four to six weeks on it, what's his value next year? It's considerably lower. And that's just another reason we shouldn't have jumped the gun. We should have waited. Because not only, you know, would we have a better idea of what he might look like going forward, he might have cost a lot less money. We might have saved millions by just simply waiting it out. Maybe it ends up just being a three-year deal worth $25 million a year. So that, that's roughly half the amount that... It's actually less than half the amount he's uh, getting on the 160. So I mean, we could have we could have just been so much smarter about this. Now, part of why this has played out the way it might have played out is because the Red Sox front office is still haunted by the Lester negotiations and. Suddenly, in the last few years, they're extremely image conscious. They want the fans to be happy. You know, and there were some bad years in there. 2014, we looked like shit. We were the defending champs. 2015, another last place season. You know, the John Farrell era was, was really enduring. And then 2016, 2017, made the playoffs out in the first round. Um,. The Lester thing is is definitely probably one of the darkest clouds over the the John Henry ownership of the Red Sox, and and he's you know owned the team since two thousand one two thousand two something like that. So and they they mentioned that they they admitted basically in recent weeks that they botched that and they don't they don't want to have another situation like that again. So I think that kind of might have led to the hastiness of them wanting to lock him up. Uh, you know, I, I can't say for certain, but it just feels like we're still paying the consequences from the Lester situation. Now, your average fucking Kool-Aid-drinking, basic-minded Red Sox fan is still going to roast me for coming on here being critical of their decision to to wait, but I'm sick of signing stupid contracts. I'm just I'm so tired of it. You have the the Sandoval one, painful, still paying on that. <laughs> the ironic thing is he's being somewhat productive with the Giants right now, more productive than D- Dustin Pedroia is being for us, and we're paying for that out there. The Hanley Ramirez contract was painful because he there was just not a good fit, you know, anywhere on the team from him, whether it was performance related, whether it was personality related, you know, it just it it wasn't it wasn't a good situation to have him on the payroll. Uh, also, I mean, the Pedroia deal, eight years, given his history, that was not smart. I know it's at cheaper money, but not not a smart decision, you know, at the time. Rusny Castillo, you, you're taking a chance on Cuban players, especially with, you know, the international system in place. You know, sometimes it works brilliantly. Other times, I mean... Yohan Moncada, the guy we traded for Chris Sale, was going to be an absolute phenom, but he set the all-time strikeout record last year and just 
hasn't quite been the face of the you know Chicago White Sox franchise so far that they've been hoping for. So I'm not going to, I guess, fault the Red Sox on the Rusny thing, but it, it is like you know 12 to 14 million dollars a year, and part of my frustration here also is that I was hoping that once these expired. You know, the Hanley one is the only one of the four I just listed that's no longer on the books. Sandoval's won't be after this year. I was just hoping the Red Sox would be smarter, finally, about who they sign and what the risks were. The Red Sox signing Chris Sale a year early without doing their due diligence, thats they took on the most risk possible by by doing it the way they did it. So just, I just, I just can't, I just can't speak to my level of uh, frustrations enough. And, and here's the other one last crazy thing about the Chris Sale thing: they have yet to see if he can reestablish his fastball at higher velocity. Maybe not a hundred, but at least in the ninety-six to ninety-seven range, he has not, he has not done that yet in spring training, and. Maybe it's not reasonable to expect that he would because guys kind of take it easy. You know, you don't want to have an injury in spring training. But they could have waited, you know, through April, May, June to see if that velocity came back up. And and not only if the velocity came back up, but if he could command the fastball. He couldn't do it throughout the playoffs. He was getting guys out on a slider. You know, and that was his pitch. And it was working. But it's not going to work for the next six years. He's not going to be a slider, off-speed only guy. He's going to he's gonna need a formidable fastball. And, and he's going to have to be healthy. <laughs> it's just like, so they offered him $150 million without even verifying that all of that was going to come back. And that he could return to form. Again... They're just putting themselves in the highest risk situation possible, and uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna apologize for having concerns. I mean, this is a common sense fucking scenario that I'm trying to lay out, and your average Red Sox fan who's extremely basic minded isn't gonna understand that. Okay, if you told me right now that if you had a crystal ball and said Chris Sale is going to definitely be healthy for the bulk of his contract. He's going to be strong in the second half most of those years. He's going to he's gonna be a force in the month of October and the cornerstone of some deep playoff runs. Then I would calm down, and I'd be like, okay, all right, fine. I'd be totally fine with it. But I don't know that he can do that. We have not seen that from Chris Sale in his time with the Boston Red Sox. He has not been a second-half pitcher. He hasn't been good in October. It, it sent us home in 2017. Like I said, by the grace of God, the rest of the team was solid all around him and could kind of carry him through the month of October. But there's going to be future Octobers where you're going to need him to be a Kurt Schilling-type guy, a Josh Beckett-type guy, a John Lester-type guy, for crying out loud, in the postseason. And we haven't seen it. We haven't seen it. So to assume that's going to happen 
in his 30s when he couldn't do it in his 20s. I just, it's frustrating. It's absolutely frustrating. So, again, just to hammer it home one more time, I'm not mad that we signed him. I'm mad that we didn't wait. You know, we didn't see how he looked throughout 2017. Uh, excuse me, 2017. Way behind on that one. 2019. Um, so, yeah. So, that's that's my rant on the Chris Sale thing. If he goes on the DL in May or June for shoulder inflammation or whatever, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a smart ass about it and I'm I'm gonna say I called it. So alright, so moving on. Mookie Betts, Mike Trout. Um let's actually start at the beginning of uh free agency. Mookie Betts still won't come to the table, has no interest in uh negotiating an early extension with the Boston Red Sox. All winter long, you know, if you're like me and you're a baseball diehard, you're probably looking at the Twitter feeds of Ken Rosenthal, John Heyman, Jeff Passan, all those big rock star national writers to see if Harper or Machado have signed or if it's close to signing. And it took until basically, you know, late February for... Machado and, and and then early March for Harper. Bryce Harper spent the entire winter trying to get the biggest contract in the history of Major League Baseball. And he did. It, it took him till March, but he did for a time in there, a very brief one, become the highest paid player. Giancarlo Stanton held the previous record, $325 million. Harper's deal, $330. He only exceeded that by $5 million. It took him all winter to do it, but he did it by $5 million. A week and a half later, Mike Trout blows the Harper contract out of the water by $100 million. He was signed... 12 more years to the Anaheim Angels for $430 million. I was a little surprised. I was pretty surprised. I did. I thought it was going to be a while and, you know, before we saw a $400 million contract. And, and I was even wondering if it would ever happen, to be honest with you, the way the Harper Machado things uh, went down. Because they were expected to get higher than that. And there's two reasons why Mike Trout got that contract. Number one, if the Angels didn't come way over the top and blow him away with the biggest contract of all time, and like by a long shot the biggest contract of all time, he was going to bolt for Philly. I mean, there was all this talk about Harper and... and uh, Trout texting and, you know, Harper was admitting, you know, to the media that he's like, yeah, I'd love to be teammates with Mike Trout. I'd love to be in the outfield with him. So I think that kind of increased the anxiety among the Anaheim Angels front office and they unloaded the truck for him. And 
another reason why that contract was so high is that it's almost a penalty that the Anaheim Angels have been such a shitty organization for quite a while now. Mike Trout's been a major leaguer since 2011. That's when he was called up. So he's coming into his eighth season, and they have not won a playoff game with Mike Trout. And I'm, I'll jump the gun and say I think that Mike Trout's the greatest MLB player of all time. I mean, some might still say it's Ruth. Some might say, I don't know, you know, Willie Mays. I, I don't know. But the difference between Mike Trout and all those guys is that pitching has evolved. You know, there's different types of pitches, different types of fastballs even. And then this is the StatCast era. So pitchers today have all these tools, all these analytics to help them try to defeat Mike Trout, try to get a leg up on Mike Trout, and they can't do it. He's been a top one or two MVP guy in six out of his seven seasons. And the one season he wasn't in the top two, he finished fourth in the MVP. So he's been literally top five his entire career. He's been an all-star his entire career. And five out of those six seasons, he won the Silver Slugger. I think Mike Trout's the greatest of all time. But I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't have have given him that deal. And the reason, the reason why the Angels had to was because they sucked. I mean, why would he want to stay here and keep losing. Look at their offseason this year. They signed Cody Allen, who is a was a busted reliever. I mean, he, he was good previously, but last year had a four-something ERA. He was basically like Craig Kimbrell in the playoffs, only all season long. And they brought him in to help the bullpen, I guess. And then they signed Matt Harvey, who's just been an absolute dumpster fire on the field, off the field. The guy's a diva. All kinds of drama associated with him. And that's the guy they brought in to bolster their pitching staff. These are the guys they're trying to compete with the Houston Astros with. And Mike Trout is never going to win a World Series with Anaheim Angels. The owner of the Anaheim Angels is Artie Moreno. This is how the Albert Pujols deal went down. I, and I'm not kidding. I saw this from, I think, John Heyman. And if it wasn't Heyman, it was uh, Verducci. The negotiations for Pujols, when, he, when they agreed to the contract, all happened in an extremely brief conversation. Artie Moreno, the owner of the Angels, went up to... Pujols' agent, who happened to be Dan Lozano, same guy who got Manny Machado his deal with the Padres this year, same agent, and Angels owner Artie Moreno goes up to Lozano and he says, uh, he says, hey, will uh, Pujols take $160 million? And Lozano goes, well, I'll run it by him, but I really have to confer with my client. Immediately, Moreno fired back and said, "Well, what about 200? Will he take 200 million?" And Lozano said again, "I, I, I have to confer with my client on this." 
Moreno immediately fires back and says, well, how about $240 million? And then Lozano agreed to do it. He agreed to the deal, and that's how Albert Pujols became an Anaheim Angel. Okay? A very brief conversation in a matter of a minute or so went from 160 to 240 million, an 80 million dollar increase. That's a big reason why the Angels are fucking stupid. Moreno is like a poor man's dumber Jerry Jones in the NFL. Jerry Jones has long held the Dallas Cowboys back and, you know, makes roster decisions. Moreno does the same thing. They also brought in Josh Hamilton, remember that? That was oh, that was painful for them, I'm sure. Um, so it just goes to show you how dumb that organization is. They probably screwed up the market for Mookie Betts by doing this because I guarantee you, Mookie Betts is already thinking he he wants to break that record, and that record only happened because the Angels were desperate to retain Trout and. They couldn't look themselves in the mirror that, you know, they had Mike Trout all this time and couldn't do anything. And then he dumped them for another team. And if he went to Philly, <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, that that's probably the most well-positioned team to go on a deep run right now. The Astros are doing some great things. The Dodgers are finally underneath some of their big contracts that have been shed. And... Yeah, I mean, the Dodgers were players on Bryce Harper. They offered him a mega short-term deal with an insane average annual value, well over $40 million, but he said no. And it doesn't surprise me that the Dodgers didn't want to go all-in on Harper because their president, Andrew Friedman, was the mastermind behind... You don't hear him walking around professing his love for Boston. And he might, but he's not very outward about it. He's not like Lester was before that lowball offer. Lester initially said that they, the Red Sox would have to rip that shirt off his back before he put on another team's uniform. And not long after the $70 million lowball offer came in, David Ortiz never wanted to play for another team, always wanted to be you know, with the Boston Red Sox. Others, I mean, Dustin Pedroia, as much as I hate him, he'll probably never wear another team's uniform. You don't hear the same stuff from Mookie Betts. With Mookie, at least from the outside, he's all business. He's all about the money. That's where his, in my opinion, that's where his loyalty lies. And the, the interesting thing here is, when the Red Sox have made these offers, initially it was a five-year, $100 million offer, which was reasonable considering he had a lot of control left, a lot of arbitration and stuff. He nixed that, so okay, fine. After the 2017 season, they doubled it. They offered him a $200 million deal. That's not like an insult of an offer. It's probably less than what he should have been offered, but... It wasn't a ridiculous lowball offer. Mookie said no. And the interesting thing here is that Mookie's camp isn't willing to give a counteroffer. 
Like, there's nothing. There's no interest whatsoever for Mookie Betts. And, uh, I mean, so, like, the diehard Mookie huggers, I'm kind of neutral on Mookie. I mean, he's extremely fun to watch, especially defensively. I don't think that gets talked about enough. But I'm just kind of neutral. I'm just ready... I'm accepting the fact that there's a decent chance he might not be here. You know, that being said, it, it is frustrating that he's not outwardly, you know, reassuring everyone that that he wants to stay here. That's just not happening. So it's just going to be somewhat hilarious if he does leave for another team. The, the Mookie Betts, Huggers, Diehards, whatever you want to call them... <laughs> are going to, how are they going to reconcile the fact that Mookie Betts never really gave a shit about them, you know, is, and, and then was willing to go to another team even though the the Red Sox were going to give him the biggest contract they have ever offered anyone. And the biggest contract ever from the Red Sox is David Price's current contract, seven years, $231 million. So if they offered Mookie... 10 years, 35 million, uh, excuse me, well, 35 million a year. That would be 350 overall. That would shatter Price's contract. And it's not good enough. If they offered that to Mookie Betts tomorrow, 10 years, 350 million, he would turn it down. I guarantee you he would turn it down because he wants the next record breaking contract. The other frustrating thing here about Mookie is part of his reasoning is. He wants to go to free agency to help set the bar for future players. And the two biggest free agents of the next couple of years agreed to take early extensions. Nolan Arenado did it with the Colorado Rockies. Shorter years, but his average annual value is still second highest overall. And then Mike Trout, of course, signed early. So... Who's Mookie setting the bar for? I don't think Francisco Lindor is going to get a similar contract. There's nobody on my radar right now. Aaron Judge, some of you might be thinking, well, he could get a record-breaking, excuse me, a record-breaking contract. He's going to be 30, 31 by the time he has free agency, so not likely in that case. You know, maybe like Arenado, Judge could have the highest average annual value, but certainly not the biggest long-term contract. Another one, I'm just trying to think, I mean, who could do it? Chris Bryant, maybe. Uh, you know, he's coming off of a bad year. I think he's got two or three more years of control with the Cubs, so he could land a, an epic payday. I'm not a big fan of him because I, I feel like he runs his mouth quite a bit, but that's just me. Phenomenal player, nonetheless. Um, so I don't know who Mookie's setting the bar for. That logic now that Arenado and Trout are off the market uh, just doesn't doesn't fly with me another thing that drives me nuts about Mookie Betts in 21 career postseason games he has a batting average of 226 so he's basically been a complete no-show and for everyone who wants to roast me for using average here because that's not a fancy enough stat 
He's got one home run, which came in the last game of the World Series, in which we were already up by two or three runs. It wasn't a high leverage situation. It was an insurance run, and I'm glad he got it, but it wasn't like, oh my God, Mookie Betts saved our ass. He's got three RBIs finally. All of those came this season, one of which was simply he drew a walk, which walked in the, the third base runner with the bases loaded. That's how he got his first RBI. Um, so... You know, so he just, he's not been that October hero. You know, he's not David Ortiz. He's not Shane Victorino, Mike Napoli. You know, he hasn't had those moments yet. Can he? Possibly. But it, it just bothers me that he hasn't yet. And like I said, he's not outwardly professing his love for Boston. He's not saying he wants to wear this uniform forever and retire as a Boston Red Sox player. The Red Sox are doing everything in their power to try to make that happen, but he's not hes not coming to the table. And I guess lastly here, I'm the type of person who doesn't want that contract anyway. I And even a $300 million contract, I wouldn't want it for a position player. I would absolutely pay for pitching. I hate David Price, but I mean... He got what his value was. You know, he, he is a $231 million pitcher. You know, if... I'm trying to think of someone even coming up. Masson Bumgarner will be a free agent. I don't think he's quite going to get that type of a contract. And he might sign early with the Giants, for all we know. Um, Verlander's off the market. I, I'd give a 30-year-old Justin Verlander, you know, a record contract for pitching... I do. I would have given Max Scherzer the same contract. I'm totally fine with with spending money on pitching. It's just so hard to come by, and there's a drought now, and that's why you're kind of seeing, you know, the opener concept and bullpenning and and all this, just because the seven inning starter is just kind of dying. There's not many teams that have three or four guys on their starting rotation that can that can do that anymore. So I'm a huge proponent of spending on pitching. I am not at all on giving that kind of money to a position player. And here's a perfect example. Look at the Red Sox right now. We couldn't afford to sign a reliever. This was the deepest market for free agent pitching, uh, relief pitching. You know, Zach Britton... Uh, Andrew Miller, David Robertson, Adam Ottavino, Kelvin Herrera, who was the guy I liked, to name a few. I know I'm, I'm missing, uh, i I got to be missing at least two or three there, but, but oh, Craig Kimbrell, obviously. Um, we can't afford these guys. Kelvin Herrera only cost the Chicago White Sox, who's not even going to be competitive this year or next year, $9 million a year. Are you fucking kidding me? The Red Sox couldn't give him that contract? Well, the reason is because we're like $3 million underneath the top luxury tax uh, threshold. And What I mean by that is there's there's three different barriers and there's different penalties for crossing each one. We're at the last possible one. And actually, while we're, we're on that topic, here, here are some of the payrolls for previous World Series winners. Now, 
keep in mind, I'm going to start with the Red Sox in 2013. Now, keep in mind here, the luxury tax goes from $189 million to uh, $197. So it increases roughly, what, $9 million over this span. The Red Sox in uh, 2013 won the World Series with $171 million payroll. So they were comfortably under the luxury tax. Giants next year, same exact payroll, 171, comfortably underneath it. The Kansas City Royals were way underneath it when they won their World Series in 2015, 112 million. They they won by far the cheapest World Series in recent memory. They went to the World Series the year before, got to Game Seven for 98 million. Okay, Cubs 2016. $184 million, kind of flirting with the luxury tax a little bit, but they were under it. The Astros, who, in my opinion, have the smartest front office in all of Major League Baseball. I mean, we're seeing it year in and year out. They turn their roster over just right. Their farm system is pretty strong. That team is perfectly balanced. And they won the World Series in 2017 for $138 million way below it. That's the second lowest of anyone. And then finally, 2018, the Boston Red Sox spent $227 million to win the World Series. The Red Sox by far spent the most money to win their championship compared to everybody else. And we're gonna be we're gonna be in that neighborhood again this year because even though we lost Kimbrell and uh, Kelly Mookie Betts got a heavy raise. Uh, Nathan Avaldi got essentially a $15 million raise. He only made $2 million last year. He's making 17 this year. And um, so we're, you know, the, the payroll situation is up there. And so if we give Mookie this mega deal, how the fuck is that going to improve our situation? You know, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rob us from having money to to spend on other areas of the team that need to be addressed. And we don't have the farm system still to trade for these big pieces. And it's just crazy to me that the Red Sox were not a player on any of those relievers. I was totally on board with not bringing Kimbrell back because I think the guy's fucking losing it. But the whole offseason, I was under the presumption that we would get somebody, whether it was Britton or you know Andrew Miller on a shorter-term deal. We didn't. We weren't a player at all. So, extremely frustrating, <laughs> and I just that's going to be a problem going forward. And we already have sale for you know twenty six million a year, Avaldi seventeen million a year, Martinez. Who knows if he's going to opt out? But basically, four players, our four most expensive players, price at thirty one a year. Basically equate to half the luxury tax. We're halfway to the luxury tax with only four players. That's not sustainable. That is not sustainable. So I'm not I'm not a huge proponent of that. And when people ask me, well what what are you a proponent of? You're fucking negative on everything, you know, and I you know that's true to a point, but I think the Red Sox would get better value out of extending J.D. Martinez on guaranteed money, you know, no opt-outs because he can opt out after this year. 
I'd bring him back. He'd be a lot cheaper than Mookie. I would also try to extend Bogarts. It's going to be extremely hard to replace his production at shortstop. That's not a position that has a lot of depth. So he's a guy I covet. We're not going to replace Mookie if he does go, but it's a lot easier to find a highly serviceable corner outfielder than it is a shortstop. So that's one of the reasons I do kind of covet Bogarts. And Bogarts and Martinez alone would probably combine for $250 million to $275 million. Say Mookie costs four fifty, you're getting you're getting a much better deal with those two players versus one, and you have money left over to go spend it elsewhere. Another thing I would do is extend Andrew Benintendi. He's open to it. Um, Alex Bregman just got a six-year deal worth, I think, a hundred million. So that's you know. He's open to that type of a deal, and that's an affordable contract. So Benintendi is a guy I would probably target for an extension. You know, and I guess I'll I'll wrap everything up with this. If you're still vehemently against my logic here, and and that's fine, you know, we all have our opinions. Part of what shapes my my mindset and my values on how teams are built is look at the first three World Series that the Red Sox won, 04, 2007, 2013. There was not one massive unsustainable contract on the books for any of those three World Series. The biggest contract was Manny, but whether he, you know, steroids or not, he was one of the best right-handed hitters of all time. Some people say he's the very best. So, you know, the, I wouldn't call that contract unsustainable, but, it, you know, it was a big contract. The Dice K contract, obviously not a good one, but not a super expensive one. You know, we won in spite of him anyway. And, and he was a part of that 2017 anyway. I mean, he still gave us a little bit of stability at the back end of the rotation. And... He hit a two-run single in the World Series. Drove in two runs in Colorado. Uh, and then 2018, he, he was an 18-game winner. You know, one of the better pitchers. I think Lester had a better year that year. But Dice K is still a big part of, you know, helping us cruise to uh, into the playoffs. Um, so, I mean, they're just... We won those three World Series being extremely smart. I don't know if Theo Epstein, if he was still in Boston, that he would have signed Chris Sale to an early deal. I don't know that he'd be all in on Mookie Betts. He hasn't really signed... Well, he had he signed Hayward, I guess, to a, a massive deal, and that didn't work out. So I can't speak to whether or not he would have uh, signed Betts to a, a mega deal. We'll see what he does with Bryant here in a couple years. But, um, but I just feel like... We can we can build a World Series roster a lot smarter than tying up all that money into one player. It hasn't worked with Mike Trout. Only once in the history of the World Series did it get one with a position player making north of $200 million. That was 2009 New York Yankees with Alex Rodriguez. And they had some other super high-priced players around him as well. Not quite that high, but 
Tashiro was making 180. Sabathia was making about that. I don't know what Jeter's overall value was, but it was like 21 million a year. So, you know, that's they bought that World Series, and it, it's even hard to buy a World Series. I mean, you saw the Dodgers try to do it; that didn't work out. And I just don't want to. I don't want to have these painful contracts. And like I said in the the opening segment, Dave Dombrowski, a long history of dumb decisions. So that makes this all that much more scary. Um, so uh, I'm not a Mookie guy, you know, as far as signing him. I might be a Mookie guy for the next couple of seasons, but I'm not going to be a Mookie guy after 2020. I would just rather the Red Sox be smart. Hopefully they'll draft a little you know, well, they've been drafting pretty well, but hopefully that continues, and hopefully they make some make some value signings. Look what the Astros did they they signed Michael Brantley to play right field for them. I mean, you don't have to. And look at twenty thirteen with the Red Sox, Victorino, Napoli, not too insanely expensive players that ended up being cornerstones you know, of that World Series. And, you know, Victorino won it 2008 with the Phillies. Napoli had been there twice prior with the uh, Texas Rangers. So, you know, it's all about being smart with your um, with your payroll and, and having balance. You know, have, spread the money out. Have a good, solid rotation. Have a good, solid bullpen. You know, good solid lineup, and that's how it's done. That's how we won the first three last year. Bit of an anomaly, you know. We by far, I'm assuming the Cubs had the next highest payroll of any past World Series team. So that's forty three million dollars more that we spent to win our championship than what they spent. That's that's. You're probably never going to see that again. So, anyway, I just thought I would uh, come on here and, and and give my thoughts on that. Angels are a terrible organization. Whether you're a pro Mookie, whether you're, you know, like me, you don't want a, a deal of that magnitude on the books. The Angels still made our lives a lot more difficult in the past week. And uh, it's too bad. And another thing, too, it's it's bad for baseball. Mike Trout's going to be buried on a West Coast team that nobody watches, you know, out here on the East Coast. They're never going to they're never going to win a World Series. They're with that owner in that front office, they're probably I'd be shocked if they make the playoffs. The American League West would have to be really weak for them to get in. And it's just it sucks. It absolutely sucks. Mike Trout going to the Phillies would have been much better for baseball. And, um, you know, their dream is dead unless a trade happens. So thought I would come on and give some thoughts. Um, we will have a preview show on Tuesday night. We'll give our MLB-wide predictions, um, MVP winners, Cy Young winners, all that fun stuff. That's always a fun show. I'm looking forward to it. All four of us will be on it. That's never happened uh, so far. I've never had that many on. But um, that'll uh, take place on Tuesday. 
iTunes link is up above. We're on Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, literally everywhere. So uh, check us out, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Red Sox pride for eternity.